Greetings to your listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, the host of the Remnant Podcast. We're doing something a little different today. Not too different, but, you know, slightly different. Quirky. You might recall from a conversation I had with David French on this podcast a few episodes ago that uh, I participated in a, it wasn't a debate. It was a discussion about nationalism with uh, Rich Lowry that was moderated by poor Jim Garrity, who basically just tried to stay out of the way, um, about the issue of nationalism. And since we recorded the audio, we thought it was interesting. And since we're going to, you know, name check it from time to time, and when Rich's book is finally out, we will probably reference back. We figured we should at least have it out there in the universe on our podcast feed. So if you're interested in this stuff, it's not too long. It got a little slightly testy at times, but nothing nothing that harmed their friendship or anything. Uh we thought you might want to listen to it. So listen to it if you want to. Don't listen to it if you don't. And we'll do another normal podcast with air quotes around normal uh, sometime soon. Thanks a bunch. I am Jim Garrity, uh, the senior political correspondent of National Review, because that's what you call a political correspondent who gets old. I've been asked by Lindsay to moderate a conversation, totally not a debate, a conversation about how we should think about nationalism. I get to play referee for a conversation, totally not a debate, between my boss and my best friend at National Review. What could possibly go wrong? Rich, if this goes bad, I think Jonah's going to leave. <laughs> Jonah did not want me to mention Too this. Too soon. But uh, I just found out the name of the publication that he and Stephen Hayes are about to form. In great irony, it's called MAGA, Make America Goateed Again. <laughs> and now on to nationalism. Um, so I remember, you, Rich, you and, and Ramesh had a cover story on nationalism that set off this giant fierce debate all over National Review's website. And it, it, a lot of times it was brilliant, it was insightful, it was funny, it was sharp. Um, but I feel like there was a, sometimes talking past each other. So I'm actually going to direct this first to Jonah. When we talk about nationalism, what do we mean? What makes it different from patriotism? And if, it's, if nationalism basically means patriotism, why don't we use that word? Because nobody seems all that upset by it. Uh, excellent questions. There are a lot of, there's a lot going on there. And I apologize. It's only when I got under these lights I could see how much dog hair I actually have in my pants. Um, yeah, which... Which, for the record, I bought myself. We'll just put, you know, uh, some of you will get that. Anyway, um, uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be here with Rich and with Jim. Um, since we don't have a lot of time, I'll just jump right to it. This is part of my problem. Uh, nationalism, by my lights, the way I... In Rich and Ramesh's essay, they refer... They hang a lot on the word benign. They say a benign nationalism does all of these wonderful things. And I agree with all of those wonderful things. Um, but the reason why they're wonderful is because it's like benign means good. And so when you say good nationalism is good, it's sort of a tautology. The problem is that nationalism, qua nationalism, nationalism by itself is neither good nor bad. It is, it is essentially amoral. It is a phenomenon. Um, about the cult of unity, about people getting together, about having a sense of social solidarity around a concept of a nation. And that can be good, or it can be really, really terrible. Um, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time talking about all the examples of bad nationalism in human history. And so one of my problems with the concept, when people start taking nationalism and talking about it as a good in and of itself, 
to me, it's like talking about violence being good. There's good violence and there's bad violence. Um, a cop who uses a gun to stop a rape or a burglary or something, that's good violence. But the rape is bad violence. And these are, the, these are important distinctions. And by my lights, there is nothing inherent to the concept of nationalism that has a limiting principle to it. That the limiting principles, the things that constrain, the things that, as, as Rich and Ramesh talked about in his essay, about the things that should constrain nationalism, those are the things I care about. And so I do believe that nationalism is part of conservatism, but the important part is the conservatism, because the conservatism is the thing that constrains this passion. Nationalism of itself is simply just a passion about us versus some, some them. And there's nothing internal, there's no in, interior limiting principle within the concept of nationalism that doesn't lead to all sorts of, by my lights, bad things. And if you look at the history of nationalism, um, it is very difficult to distinguish programmatically or economically from things like socialism. And in fact, in the language of economics, if you nationalize an industry, you socialize an industry. Every socialist movement in the world that has taken power very quickly became nationalistic. It didn't lose the socialism, but by the time Stalin solidifies his power, he's a nationalist. He's a socialist, too. Um, and so this is one of the problems I have with, with nationalism. When you say that the, the, the principle of nationalism is, a, is that the nation, right, the country, the society, Americans, whatever, some abstract concept that covers all of us is the most important thing, well, then there's only one institution in the entire country that speaks for all of us, and that's the government in Washington. And throughout American history, nationalism has led to centralization and concentration of power in Washington. Now, I heard Tucker earlier, uh, or at least bits and pieces of him, love Tucker, been friends with him for 25 years. I think he is completely wrong when he said that bit about how all I'm asking for is a goal. What we want as a nation is a goal. What's our goal? You can't solve a problem unless you have a goal. The goal of the American experiment is frickin' liberty. And my idea of... My, the pursuit of happiness is an individual right. Nationalism tends to trample that and define the pursuit of happiness as a collective thing. That's dangerous. And what I think is, is that you're not supposed to have a goal except to ha create a system in a society where the rule of law you know, applies, where the individual is allowed to chart their own course, and the only time that we invoke nationalist arguments is when we need specifically nationalism in the form of defending ourselves militarily, uniting around common goods. But other than that, as the Founding Fathers said, um, in essentials, unity, in everything else, liberty. And that's where I, that's sort of philosophically where I come from against nationalism. Rich, uh, there's a lot to unpack there, a lot yeah. to digest. Right. You know. Okay. So first I'm going to start by answering your question. Uh, <laughs> I'm not I sure like whether, that. whether Fiona did that. So, I see what you did there. Yeah. So uh, patriotism and nationalism. Uh, patriotism uh, comes from the Latin patre, uh, the same root as patriarchy. Patriotism is simply love of your own. It's a very important feeling. I consider myself a patriot. I think patriotism is a good thing. Nationalism is something different. It's the doctrine that a distinct people, united by their culture or their history or their ideals or a common sense of mission, 
should govern a distinct piece of territory. And one of the things so frustrating about the nationalism debate is the anti-nationalists like Jonah and Emmanuel Macron, uh, the president of France. <laughs> the first two have come to mind. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there, Jim? I, yeah. I like it. Always <laughs> detected a thread between what, them. What they, what they you tend and Steve to do, Bannon do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> what they tend to do, they, they define patriotism as sort of this cosmopolitan, inflected, idealistic universalism. And then they define nationalism as patriotism and say it's too small-minded and not idealistic enough and condemn it. So the roots of nationalism, at least in the Western tradition, uh, go back, Jonah, to God. Okay? So uh, God tells Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation. And this is a very important promise that he holds true to. And there's actually a long passage in Numbers where he's, God's like a surveyor. He's like, these are your borders. It goes down this hill, around here, 50 degrees east, then west, all the way around here, and that's yours. And that idea, e- even though the, uh, the kingdom of ancient Israel is only united for a very brief period, that idea is so powerful. They never give it up. Even during exile, even when the temple is destroyed, revolt after revolt against the Romans, millennia of of exile, of, the, of suffering the worst sort of atrocities you can imagine, and they never give that idea of the nation up because it's so inherently powerful. And I just love how the, the final revolt of the Jews against the Romans, and it never revolt against the Romans, all right? It's, it never turns out well. They, they <laughs> retreat into caves, just the desperate last uh, stragglers in this fight. And archaeologists um, in the 80s found some bones from these rebels. And uh, uh, Israel excavated them and buried these bones, modern Israel, with military honors. And Menachem Begin gave a speech saying, Dear fathers, we've returned to our home and we'll never be removed from this place again. In a nutshell, that is nationalism. And everyone in the Western world uh, uh, learned this example through the most important book ever written, the Bible. So everyone who reads the Bible, they imagine themselves the chosen people. Key aspects of American national identity, that this is a promised land, that we have a covenant that uh, has also a secular form. You don't get the Constitution or the Declaration without this this very important idea of the covenant, and that we're a chosen people. Where does that come from? Did we just come up to Jeff Thompson Jefferson, just think of that in Philadelphia? No. It goes back to ancient uh, Israel. And uh, it's, it's just not true that um, we have ideals and then we just happen to be a nation or we just happen to have nationalism. Our ideals have depended on our nationalism. Because think about it. We could have been a nation within the British Empire very easily, most liberal empire in the world. We were already free, had important rights as part of the British Empire. No, we chose national independence. We could have been just a collection of uh, states, like on the Articles of Confederation. No, we chose to have a constitution and a national government. We could have gone our own way in the 1860s. We chose at an enormous price national unity. We could have just been huddled on the eastern seaboard forevermore. We chose constitutional, uh, continental expansion. All these things made us a, a powerful and a coherent country that could actually defend ideals and make them matter 
in the world. So it's not that nationalism is some neutral, random, or accidental thing. This, we would not be as great, we would not be a country without nationalism. Rich, you clearly have thought about this a lot. <laughs> have you ever thought about writing a book on this topic? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good segue. I do have a book coming out about nationalism yeah. in the fall. <laughs> you can pre-order it, right? There, you can? Yeah. So it's funny you talk, you kind of alluded to the, the concept of defending these values in the world. And I'm kind of wondering you know, how much when we see the nationalist debate or, or, or idea, this philosophy that's been stirred up with the rise of Trump since 2016, 2017, that era. You look back to old conservatism, back through Reagan, there was always skepticism about the usefulness of the UN. Um, a wariness of big, not all that uh, accountable international institutions like the IMF and, and World Bank. Um, this sense that while we like NATO, we have, you know, at some point international coalitions start to become, uh, they, can, they can kind of impede the types of actions you can take. How new is this, I guess? And I'll start with uh, Rich and then head over to Jonah. Or, you know. Well, I, Jonah said this, and I agree with it. You know, nationalism has always been part of um, the conservative sensibility. I think what's happened with Trump is Democrats turned their back on nationalism and now are overwhelmingly uh, oriented towards a, a, a cosmopolitanism. And I think Republicans lost touch with it as well, you know, for some, some good reasons, under the influence of um, you know, evangelical Christianity, which is a, obviously a universalist uh, tendency, uh, under the influence of kind of an overly idealistic foreign policy under George W. Bush, under the influence of, uh, say, libertarianism and kind of a uh, very globally oriented business elite. So you have this, this really powerful uh, tendency, a natural human tendency, was just sort of left there with, with no one um, laying claim to it, and Trump did. And you know we can talk a lot about Trump and the various flaws he, he has, but he, he sensed the power and importance of it. So part of it is that, you know, opposing the UN and whatnot, when John Bolton uh, and Mike Pompeo worked so hard to defeat the ICC, that's, that's a nationalist uh, tendency. But more importantly, it's, it's the realization that we are a people. We're not just a collection of random individuals. We are a real country. We're not just an abstraction. And uh, we should put our national interest and the interests of our own citizens first. Yeah, so... Um there's, we'll just stipulate that there's a great deal I disagree with in Rich's uh, response uh, from before, and I'll just get to this question. Um, I have absolutely no problem with a lot, certainly on the foreign policy stage. You know, there's, there's, it's, it's probably too clever by half, but um, I'm a passionate believer in nationism, right? The idea that the best sort of units of the global order are nation states. I'm not a cosmopolitan. I don't, I don't believe in the parliament of man, as Tennyson put it. Um, I, you know, I want the U.S. out of the U.N. and the U.N. out of the U.S., all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but so I'm, I'm a big believer in asserting our sovereignty, charting our own course. That doesn't mean you don't have allies and all of the rest. Um, but this sort of gets to part, I would argue, part of the problem of taking nationalism as a standalone ideal, separate and apart from the conservatism that gives it meaning and gives it direction, and that is it part of American exceptionalism, right? I mean, it's sort of like Samuel Huntington wrote a fantastic essay in the 1950s called Conservatism as an Ideology, and he pointed out that 
conservatism and radicalism are the only two major ideologies or philosophies in the world that are entirely contextual. A conservative then in the Soviet Union was trying to conserve the Bolshevik Revolution. A conservative in Portugal was trying to conserve the monarchy. And a conservative in America was trying to conserve sort of what Tommy Lee Jones was getting at in Firebirds when he said, having our heads and our hearts wired together for some full-tilt boogie for freedom and justice. <laughs> and, um, and so in, conserva in American conservatism, the concept of the nation that we are trying to conserve is very hard to distinguish from patriotism. Because it is, and this is one of the things I have a problem with the concept of nationalism, is that in the American political tradition, the, the moral, the most moral unit isn't the group, it's the individual. It's the, the hero is the man who stands up to the mob, not the mob. And so one of the problems I have is that even if I completely subscribe to Rich's understanding of nationalism, which I do think is benign and good, and if, we, if everyone agreed on his definition of nationalism, I would be totally for it. But the problem is, is that the, the effort to turn nationalism as into a specific political agenda that defines the Republican Party, which is what we've seen more and more. You know, Donald Trump not long ago said, I don't call myself a conservative, I call myself a nationalist. Well, in an era of negative partisanship, that incentivizes Democrats to be even more against patriotism or nationalism than they were before. Millions of Democrats are now more pro-free trade than they've ever been just because they've been driven crazy by Donald Trump. They are also more against any version of nationalism because they, just because they hate Donald Trump. And when you make this notion of American sovereignty and America being special and a shining city on a hill and all of that part of a partisan agenda rather than part of your civics agenda, you encourage people who disagree with you politically to politicize it even more and anathematize it and, and, and make it radioactive. And I think that's a real problem. This stuff, this should be nonpartisan, bipartisan stuff we teach in grade school, not stuff that we say is what Republicans believe in and Democrats don't. Um, okay, so, I mean, it seems to me like the, lo the logical um, endpoint uh, of that statement about Trump would be he shouldn't say anything we believe because it's going to make the other side hate what we believe even more, right? You shouldn't appoint constitutionalist judges because they'll hate constitutionalist judges more. And the fact is that nationalism is, is woven into this country's tradition, and as conservatives, we should respect that tradition. I mean, it goes back to Washington and the farewell letter to Alexander Hamilton, right through Henry Clay and Abraham Lincoln and into Teddy Roosevelt and in, into the 20th century. And to the New Deal and the Great Society, which well, were all basically nationalist projects, too. That's progressivism. So you can, you can tell uh, if statism were inherently nationalism, then uh, AOC, who hates nationalism, would be an anti-statist. She's not. She's a progressive. So she loves progressive statism, which is fundamentally what those projects were. But I, I, you know, FDR was a nationalist, but FDR as a Democrat is better than AOC as a Democrat. Read FDR's third but, inaugural address. He had a lot of inaugural addresses. Read, <laughs> read his uh, prayer uh, for, for our men on D-Day. And imagine AOC or any contemporary Democrat talking about those talking uh, about this country and our troops in those terms. And you can't, and I'm sorry, John, it just makes no sense to uh, support the system of nation states, which has supported freedom around the world and self-government around the world, but say, I don't like nationalism. 
You only sure get, does. you only got the system of nation states through nationalism, because people like FDR was a nationalist who believed that peoples should govern themselves. How do you get that without nationalism? How, what produced nation states if not nationalism? Yeah, but they're again, they're terrible forms of nationalism. People like to say that Woodrow Wilson was in favor of democracy and because he was in favor of self-determination. He really wasn't. He was in favor of self-determination, which meant that if you wanted to be a crapulent, backward, evil dictatorship, but that was your nationalist tradition, by all means, you should. And that's not where I come down on these things. Nationalism, I, again, the nation-state system, that is a political scientist, you know, it's the Westphalian system of nation-states. And, and, and I do come, I should, full disclosure, I come from a proud National Review tradition going back to Eric von Knut Ledin of being a defender of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So um, I just want to get that out there as full disclosure. Yeah, and, cr and cr crushing the, uh, the national aspirations of the Hungarians or anyone else who uh, had the temerity to say, you know what, we are people who want to govern ourselves. And the yeah. reason why there's less conflict in the world now in general is because actually we've now finally said, yes, you should govern yourself. Yeah, but you again, but, but if you're going to read... that's nationalism, if, That's part of nationalism, Rich. If you want to, <laughs> if, if, if you want to reduce nationalism simply to a pointy-headed argument that it's about nation-states and the sovereignty but of nation-states... That's nation not pointy-headed, it's just common sense. How do you but get that's a not the sum totality of it. How do you get a nation-state without nationalism? I, that's fine. I don't, I don't object that to that. That's the only point I was making. No, you, but, you but, seem to be contesting it. Well, I'm contesting it insofar as you want to read... you need to do moder more moderation. I, here, I was about friend. to say, I'm ready to, I'm ready to jump in here. <laughs> they told me to sit on this side, and I'm wondering if, if it was because they're afraid I'd have to like... You know. if, if you want to reduce nationalism solely and completely to the idea that nation states should exist and not should be subsumed to some global entity, then I guess I'm a nationalist. But Thank I, you. That, that's also Thank not, you very much. Yeah, yeah, but it's also not conflicting with patriotism. Right. And, I, didn't, I never said it conflicted with patriotism. Okay, but also... It also leaves room for a vast swath of absolutely evil regimes. The Iranians are nationalists, right? If, 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 if we're going to celebrate the glories of nationalism, which is going to be so capacious as to include North Korea, Iran, Stalinist Russia, and the Nazis, then I think we need to talk a little bit more about what our definition of this thing is, because it's not subsumed solely into the glorious statements of George Washington. Yeah. Sure. Uh, they should have given me a whistle. Um, Rich, you wrote in that 2017 essay that benign nationalism would include a loyalty to one's country, a sense of belonging, allegiance, and gratitude to it. And, and I, that, that last word kind of jumped out to me. Are today's nationalists full of gratitude? Because there are times I kind of wonder if there's a sense of grievance, sense of resentment. Um, I, they're full of something. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, the question is, are they full, you know, is there enough gratitude uh, in the discussion of nationalism today? Well, I think you get, um, if I understand your question correctly, you get a sort of sensibility around mm. contemporary nationalism. And certainly this country is caught up um, with Trump and his persona, which uh, oftentimes does not uh, exude a great sense of, of gratitude, uh, and his populism. And he's a populist uh, nationalist. And I, I think the kind of the, the sense of uh, grievance comes more from the populism than the nationalism uh, necessarily. So I, I'm not a populist. I'm sympathetic to points they make. I think populism, like nationalism, has always been part of the conservative uh, sensibility. But my ideal would be a conservative uh, nationalism. And I, in National Review, have made this point for years also. If you leave something that's really important and true and natural and powerful and say it's a bad thing, we shouldn't do it, someone's going to pick it up. 
And they might pick it up in the same way with immigration restriction. They might pick it up in a way you don't like. So it's important for responsible, uh, intelligent, even brilliant people to realize <laughs> the appeal of nationalism and to uh, constructively uh, integrate it into our program rather than joining Emmanuel Macron with uh, thoughtless attacks on it. <laughs> yeah, but so I, I agree with all of that. And again, my, my definition of nationalism has always been it's sort of like I, I'm a passionate believer that all poisons are determined by the dose. And so a little, the nationalism is a little bit like salt. Like if you cook, you know that a pinch of salt or a little bit of salt brings out all the flavors, it ties the meal together, it's essential if you want a meal. A little too much, it ruins it. Way too much, it's literally lethal. And so to me, it's not that nationalism, qua nationalism, bad. It all depends on the dose. And so the question I would have for Rich is, why do you feel it's necessary to use the phrase benign nationalism if all nationalism is is these good things? Isn't, well, it doesn't is, it need an adjective? I mean, it's, it's uh, inchoate, and it can be used and abused. I mean, you cited some examples of that. Uh, there are nationalisms that uh, have, are, are kind of distorted and poisonous. Serbian nationalism is, has been kind of poisoned by a sense of grievance from the beginning. Uh, German, Russian, and Chinese nationalism um, really never gave up sort of the imperial gene that these countries had. Uh, Russia was really an empire before it was even really a, a nation state. So, um, but it, when, when, it, when nationalism grows out of control in that way, it becomes imperialism, not just nationalism. And what I, I defend most strongly is American nationalism. And we are not an imperial country. We have never you know, occupied and tried to govern another people for a long period of uh, time. And it really it made this country great. We wouldn't have had a revolution without nationalism. It was a nationalistic revolution. We, were, we had rights within uh, a great liberal Empire, not, maybe not as good as the Austro-Hungarian Empire, <laughs> what Germany, is? but it was a it was a great empire, and we said no because we wanted to govern ourselves. And there's a reason why people who've uh, suffered under imperialism or under colonialism have looked to our revolution as a model, because it's a model for a, a people wanting to govern itself within its own yeah, boundaries. I, and again, I have no dispute about that. I just. I think the important part is the benign or the conservative nationalism or the American nationalism because as part of the American experiment, we're an exceptional country and we did things with nationalism that other countries did not do because America is, to borrow a term from social science, freaking awesome. <laughs> um, and I just one point on Serbian nationalism because it reminds me of my favorite quote from Otto von Bismarck. Uh, he said, the, the trouble with the Balkans is that they tend to produce more history than they can consume domestically. <laughs> In fact, I believe uh, history and trouble are the primary exports of the Balkans. Um, so I've already got this 24-style ticking clock right in front of us, and I feel like screaming at somebody, tell me where the bomb is! Um, so we have only a little bit of time, but I notice you know, Trump comes on the scene, talks about nationalism. Um, when I was growing up, when you saw wackos and skinheads and Klan members on the news, they called themselves white supremacists. Now they're calling themselves white nationalists. If you're a nationalist, this is really, this is like having a, a rival brand with a very similar name that could really ruin your market share. <laughs> uh, so in the one minute and 15 seconds we have left, um, does the existence of self-proclaimed white nationalists poison the waters about the debate of this term and whether it should be, how it should be applied? No, I think white nationalism is a contradiction in terms. And uh, nationalism at, at its best, it includes everyone within the nation. 
And uh, throughout our history, it's actually been the nationalists who have been on the right side of these questions rather than uh, um, extreme state rights people or secessionists. Um, and what we finally did, you know, after hundreds of years of doing the opposite, was fully include black Americans in our nation uh, the way they, they should have been. And just to come, come full circle, um, you know, Martin Luther King, the, the most important elements of Martin Luther King's rhetoric were Amos, Jeremiah, and Matthew. And the most important stories he told were about Exodus and about a, a repressed people uh, escaping to the promised land and to freedom. The last li- the speech he gave as, as, uh, on, on this earth was about Moses looking to the promised land. So it goes again to that ancient Israel and that model of a nation and a people yearning for freedom. That I think is, is kind of built into our bones, especially as Americans. And uh, I, I think it's, it's a mistake just because there are misconceptions around the term nationalism to turn our backs on that uh, incredibly uh, powerful and fruitful tradition. Okay. Uh, the 24 clock has gone from down to up, so I have more time to defuse the bomb. But I want Jonah, I, I'm going to say give you the last word, not your last word at National Review, no. uh, but just maybe a, a quick wrap-up thought or something, in, you know, to, on you that You can't note. do that. We're over time. I <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't have a huge, you know, I'm not going to do a big mic drop thing. I'll just say that, first of all, it's, it's great to be here. Um, I'm internally grateful to these guys. And um, on, on this part, if I could outsource... Uh, the definition of nationalism and give Rich the kind of czar-like powers that he has over National Review over <laughs> the entire country, czar. I would have no objection whatsoever to his understanding or definition of what nationalism is. I just fear that there are, other peop- there are too many people who are going to disagree with it. But anyway, uh, and on the issue of gratitude, that's how I end my book, is about how important gratitude is. We are all unbelievably blessed and lucky that our definition of nationalism in this country is so perfectly, not perfectly, but striving for perfection, uh, wrapped up in the American experiment, the ideas that make this country different than any other in human history and that have done more to solve the problems of tyranny and poverty than any other society that has ever existed and may ever exist. So thank you all very much. Jonah Goldberg and Rich Lowry.